one of the great skills you can have in complex sales mm. is the emotional intelligence to truly put yourself in the shoes of your customer mm. and see the world through their eyes. Now, th- th- there's lots of things that prevent me finding great companies and part of it is me efficiently getting through and working out what are the ones that meet yeah. my criteria. And so if you start by, okay, I've, I'm not wasting this person's time. If you can tell me from the outset, I've got something interesting, it meets all of your investment criteria. Welcome to another episode of the How to Sell podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm sorry that to right, say, mate. co-host, co-host, co-host. Yes, I still, I still, I still, I still can't accept, Dave, that I've, um, I've given up part I of the. I feel like the black sheep of the family. What's going on? Here? <laughs> Honestly, well, who needs when you got friends like Louis? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that 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 voice you're hearing from the side is our this week's guest. But before we get into this week's guest and share. Um, and we've got a great episode coming up. I just want to say, if you're a first-time listener, thank you very much for showing up. Um, we hope you take away a lot of value. This podcast is aimed not just teaching you how to sell, but we flip it to talk to buyers and we understand and we learn how they buy so that you can sell in the way people buy. And if you're a long-time listener, thank you for always showing up. I know it's difficult for you to hear Dave on this podcast that you've been following me for so long. But if please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. And uh, yeah, and you know what's great about this? We've got, um, even though Dave and I are big sports fans, um, this week's guest is a big, sorry, Stephen, did you say Melbourne fan or? No. <laughs> oh, no. I think he's going to hang up right now. <laughs> this interview's over. He's moved to the suburb oh, that he supports. A die-in-the-wall Tigers fan. Uh, okay. Best club, best colors, best mascot, best theme song. Boom. Yeah. Well, yeah, and true. Google, right there. we we have we have a large audience from the US, and uh, just for our, our audience in the US, Tigers fan is the Richmond Tigers. They are a really big football club. Um, they had they had a, a great strategy. Um, it was what it was a thirty year strategy that you guys had of from the eighties, right? We just thought. Well, we play it safe. We'll develop a 30-year strategy. Yeah, and 34 it, years in the wilderness, I think, is what you're getting at. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a long time between drinks and premierships of the, the league. But, yeah, I sort of brainwashed my poor son, who's now 19 years of age, back in the early 2000s into being a Richmond Tigers fan. It was considered tantamount to child abuse because the poor, <laughs> poor lad had to endure season after season at, at ninth or at the bottom of the ladder. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, hey, at, least, at least you develop resilience, right? Get him in sales. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. You um, did once say to me, Dad, why do all of my friends follow Collingwood and, and Hawthorne? And, you know, why do they have all this success? And I said, son, they will never understand the build. And uh, <laughs> as you guys know, but our, your American listeners wouldn't, the Richmond Tigers won the premiership in 2017, 2019 yeah. and 2020. And my son played those words back to me in 2017. He said, Dad, I understand the bill. <laughs> yeah, well, they were, they were a sleeping giant, right? So they did come out and the, the spectators came out in support. But Dave, we're pretty pumped. So, mate, I'll, yep. Dave, I'm going to handball to you because, you know, you need to sort of lift your game and, and actually be a co-host. Do you want to introduce this week's guest? Well, I have got a lot of feedback that they're saying they want to hear less of you or more of me. So it's probably a good segue, uh, Louis. So we've got the magnificent uh, Steve Steve Gledon on the on the call today, and Steve comes from a, a world of sales as well that many people don't know. He's um, led the initiatives in a lot of companies uh, that he's run, 
and often uh, pushes a lot of the companies that uh, that the fund that themselves uh, then bring on as well. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to hand over to Steve. Steve, let's give our listeners a bit, a bit of background about your history, what you're doing now, and then we can dive right in. Sure. Thanks, Dave. So yes, I'm Steve, Steve Gladden. I'm managing partner of Straight Bat Private Equity. We are a mid to lower market long-term value investor for the the boring private equity types. But for people who don't really know what that is, we're an investment fund that doesn't invest in public companies. We invest in private companies, private equity. Uh, But we invest in mature, robust, highly profitable, medium-sized Australian businesses for slightly old-fashioned reasons. Income, wealth preservation, sustainable, growth. And Mm. so some of your listeners who come from Australia or England or India would recognize the reference straight bat, which is um, an idiom or a saying that comes from our national game of cricket. And to play with a straight bat uh, is an idiom and it means uh, honest, decent, straightforward, reliable, Mm. consistent long run performance. In cricket, you talk about notching up singles rather than Mm. swinging fences and so we go by the expression to play the long game which is probably something even your us listeners would understand Mm. we invest for the long term we buy businesses that we're happy to own forever and our primary form of return is dividends to our investors so last year they got 11.2 percent total income return paid quarterly and steady capital growth in excess of cpi yeah mate that's a great way to get started and you know what i think what 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 What's exciting me most about this conversation is, you know, it's 2023, we're fast approaching 2024, Steve. And historically, if you think back, I know when I first started in selling, yes, the internet was a thing, but it wasn't something where, you know, from a buyer's perspective, you could just literally jump online and get the information you needed to questions that you had, especially when you wanted to buy, whether it be a complex, even a car, whatever it was. The big change that we've seen in the past sort of 20 years is the salesperson or the company is not the holder of information anymore. The buyer can actually get access to that information faster than ever before, right? So the the shift from a sales to buyer um, has occurred. And to some extent, salespeople are not, haven't got that information. They need to bring more to the conversation. They need to bring more value. They need to bring more expertise um, problem solving skills, etc. So why I'm loving this, because you've already started talking about invested re- investment returns. And this is where I think that the salesperson of the future is the one that has that strong commercial acumen that can have conversations with the C-level and really flip the way they think. And they're looking at things from the perspective of the buyer, right? And you just started off kind of, it was a real mic drop moment straight into returns because fundamentally at the end of the day all c-level executives are looking at in my opinion they're looking at what are the returns that this conversation could enable me to achieve in my in my team but ultimately to the people that i'm reporting to which is shareholders etc so i'd love to get your perspective on this and i mean you're looking at businesses all the time and when you look at a business what are the things that you're sort of looking at before you even entertain a conversation yeah so it's a great question and if I reflect on myself as a buyer, we are buying companies. We're buying mm. shares in companies. We buy mm. shareholdings, as it were. 
but you know I've got two hundred and fifty million dollars to spend, and I need to spend another forty five million dollars before Christmas. And so, <laughs> the the salespeople that are coming at us, the, the, there's three channels. One, our investors bring yeah. us deals. Two, um, the the network of trust, what we call trusted advisors, so corporate mm. advisors and accountants and lawyers business bankers, they bring us their clients that might want an investment partner. And then the third I refer to as brute force, where that's as a buyer, I'm going out to the market and I'm looking for companies. And there are databases that I go out and search to find those companies. Yeah. I'm going to take cha- channel two, which is trusted advisors. So co- corporate mm-hmm. advisors will bring us a potential business. And when they do, I'll run you through what's going through my mind. First of all, I'm looking to see that have they actually looked to work out what it is that I invest in? Mm. Literally on my website, it says yeah, you say, invest yeah. in medium sized businesses, 10 to 100 million rev, 5 to 25 yeah. EBITDA, EBITDA margins north of 20%. And if someone comes along to me with a business that's smaller than that, I'm sort of like, it's great to meet you, but you know, you're kind of wasting my time. So, first yeah. of all, kind of understanding what it is that I'm looking for. Um, I'll then use some analogies. So I do quite a bit of venture capital investing. And Dave, I know this is an area that's familiar to you as well. But um, in venture, you know, the best venture investors see 300 companies a year and they invest in three. So I've got a lot of people trying to get my attention. And so you've got a very limited window to quickly establish credibility and tell me why I should give you more than 30 seconds of my life. Mm-hmm. And so that classic elevator pitch is really important. And what is it that you're trying yeah. to do in that? data pitch establish credibility demonstrate that you understand the audience that you're talking to and their need and tell them something that's interesting enough to i talk about kind of get the second date like get you know like okay i'm I'm now listening you know then you've got kind of eight minutes of my life um and then you really need to you know when it comes to venture capital investing it's probably less so in private equity but you really want to set out what's the problem that you solve you know, what's the customer's problem? How do I solve it as a company? So this is a company that I'm investing in. This could get a little bit like mentally requires some mental dexterity for everybody. But, you know, if you're pitching your business and you want me to invest in it, I need mm-hmm. to know who your customer is and what problem you yep. solve for them and how you solve it. I need to know what your business model is. I need to know how you make money. I need to know what your financial projections are. I need to know how you beat your competition. There, there's like eight things that you've got to quickly hit all of my hygiene factors to go, yeah. okay, it's now worth me spending three hours of my life to really know whether I want to invest in this business. Now, that's just one process of discovery with, with an investment. Um, but once you've got a trusted relationship with me, so we have corporate advisors, uh, 333 Capital, we invested in yeah. one of their businesses a couple of years ago, and they've brought us other businesses. And we, so we know they understand our needs. It's a, it's a, it's a repeat order situation and so immediately we're, we're listening when they when they bring us something that's probably a good what start. You, can you remember steve like a let's go through when someone really resonated if you can remember did they do something out of the, out of the ordinary to get your attention because i think for a business looking for capital they know that the likes of yourselves are getting hammered daily with pitches, right? So look, from my mind, if I'm trying to pitch you and I fit within your you know, ideal customer profile, I'm thinking, what can I do that's a little bit special? Hmm. Um, you know, so have you had any anything that comes to memory where you're like, bang, I'm jumping on this yeah. and I want to I want to win this deal? 
Pardon the interruption, but I have to let you know about this free resource. The Growth Forum newsletter has over 10,000 subscribers that are learning how to sell. Each and every week, we send you tips, strategies, and also some tools and tech on how to achieve the most out of your sales pipeline. If you're ready to level up, sign up for free at growforum.io forward slash newsletter and get the first issue this week. Yeah, no, that's another really good question. And, you know, it's tempting to sort of think of things that are kind of novel or eye-catching, but I think it depends on your audience. And in our game, where we're investing in sort of, you know, mature, robust, kind of unsexy businesses, mm. I think the one that really hit home is where they quickly establish, it's that, oh, wow, that sounds like a great business. So it's really... Yeah. Con- really connecting with something that stands clear it does come back to that like you've, you've got to create a point of difference and in a very short and compelling way find the heart of the issue get get the thing that you know what you're looking for stands out very clearly so um i'm trying to think so yeah you know we invested in a smoke alarms business recently red smoke alarms and the advisor that brought that to us basically said, I've got a business here, sells smoke alarms. It's grown at 30% each year for the last three years, and it makes 40% EBITDA margins. And I've gone, ooh, okay, I'm, I'm really, you know, paying attention now. So haven't haven't messed around, have, have gone to something that's now giving you permission to take that eight minutes of my life. Yeah. Hmm. What, what I like about that, and what I'm hearing is he spoke the language that resonated with you. He, he, inter- he just said, hey, this is, he knew exactly, maybe he didn't, maybe it was an unconscious choice he made. Yep. He was speaking through the lens of what, you know, what I'm thinking of what you were looking at to saying, these are the things I'm looking for EBITDA, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for growth patterns, bang, 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 tell me more, right? So what really sits underneath that louis is one of the great skills you can have in complex sales Mm. the emotional intelligence to truly put yourself in the shoes of your customer Mm. and see the world through their eyes yeah start there be less concerned about what is it that you know is great about me and my product and what i'm trying to achieve but think about the world through their eyes you know, it's, it's funny, right? I facilitate a lot. I talk to a lot of businesses. I was at one this week. And, you know, that that phrase that you said, look at it for your buyer's eyes, it actually sounds really simple. It's like, you know what? That's, yeah, I get it. But it's amazing how many people don't get it. I say, you know, what have you got a picture of your buyer? And 90% of people don't. They don't actually understand who their buyer is, what motivates them, what drives them, and what are their challenges. And I think this is where a lot of these, and a lot of the communication challenges kick in, right? Because I'm not positioning, and this is exactly why Dave and I have created this podcast, because we want to flip it. We want our audience to understand that, don't worry about how you sell, you've got to mm. think about how people buy, right? Mm. And that's yep. one of the big things, right? That it's It comes down to, again, like I wrote a post about these, People are just, well, it's a bit of a blanket wash, but you, the ones that don't get success here, they're just being lazy. They're not taking the time to really understand, right? Like if you, 
we, we spoke with a founder last week and she makes decisions quick, fast. Um, so you got to come in with value and show her instant ROI. And if you really know that, you can tick those boxes quickly. Like what yeah. you said at the start of the episode, Steve, you've got the information on what you look for clear as day on your website. So someone yeah. only only really needs to do 10 minutes of time to see what's on your site, who you've invested in. And if they're even extra, want to go the extra step, talk to the people who you've invested in to yeah. understand a little bit more. Right? Which, fo- which football that, club he goes for, Dave? Which football you know? club he goes for? No, don't be right. going. Don't be going in the meeting with a with a with a uh, demon yeah. scarf yeah. if you no, want. Collingwood, get to with that, we're, we're done. Yeah. It's them <laughs> out, right? I think that's yeah. That that should be a caveat too on the side. Yeah. No Collingwood yeah. supporters allowed. Probably drop. Uh, you you use some good words, Louis and Dave. But Louis, when you said um, they can see their customer, but they're not seeing yeah. the world through their customer's eyes. It's like, oh, that's mm. what they're that's what they do, but. You actually need to put yourself in their shoes and understand what is the problem that they're trying to overcome. What is it that gives them frustration? What mm. you know, th- th- there's lots of things that prevent me finding great companies, and part of it is me efficiently getting through and working out what are the ones that meet yeah. my criteria. And so, if you start by okay, I've, I'm not wasting this person's time. If you can tell me from the outset, I've got something interesting. It meets all of your investment criteria. Yeah. So this is it. so I'd love to jump on this right. So. Obviously, you mentioned, you know, I'm looking through, I'm prospecting, right? 300 companies you're prospecting, you might choose three. Do you mind maybe just telling us a time where you, you found a company, you were in, started going through the due diligence process, mm. and you wanted to invest in it, but you didn't because you couldn't get consensus from other people in your team? Yep. to agree that this was a right investment. I mean, A, have you experienced that before? And if yeah, you have, so, you just through. Yeah, this goes to, I think, understanding the buying process, right? So there are multiple, yeah. so it's a complex sale. Yep. Um, it's not just me that makes this decision. So mm. at straight bat, we're a team of 13. We've got an operating team, an investing, investment team. The investment team's led by Matt, Matt Donison. So really, his, his te- you know, if something interesting comes to me very quickly, I would flick it to Matt. And Matt's yeah. team is going to run a whole program to quickly put um, this business through an investment screening process. And if it meets those criteria, we might consider putting out a non-binding offer. If that non-binding offer is accepted, we would probably have told our investment committee about it, but then take it to our investment committee. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is sort of understanding the buying influences. Like who, who's yeah. the, who is the decision maker? Is it me? Mm. Is it my investment committee? Um, and who's a technical buyer? Who can say no, mm. but they can't say yes? Yeah. So can, Matt can say no because um, he'll run the investment screen and tell me, yeah, it looks good, but, but no. So I'll give you one example of where something got, got screened out. Um, we had a business in Sydney. Uh, it was um, uh, in, in the transport space. It was actually yeah. a company that ran buses, bus fleets. Very okay. interesting business, great recurring revenue, served all of the private schools in Sydney. We were really excited about it. But it went to our investment committee and on our investment committee was somebody who'd run a bus company. And they said, oh, my God, oh. that headache. You do not want to buy that business. Yeah. Now, you might think, oh, gosh, you know, the investment committee is the decision maker. They're actually not. So ultimately, we do make the final decision, but we listen to our investment committee, mm. which is incidentally represented by some of our largest investors. And so we like to know that our largest investors are saying, Steve, Matt, team we think this is a great idea for you to invest in it so 
they're actually not making the decision. Um, can they say no and not say yes? They can say no and we can say yes, but we're reluctant to do it. Yeah. And that's a lot of insight that most people wouldn't have about our decision-making process, but you've got to realize in the complex sales environment that that's the situation. And if, yeah. you're, if, you're, a re, if you're a really smart person selling to me, you'll find people that I know to say, how does the decision-making process at Straight Bat actually happen? And that person yeah. is your coach. They're going to tell you everything yep. that you need to know. Yeah, that's interesting. I often refer to that person that's on your investment committee that might have had a bus company. I refer to that person as what we call the uh, the anti-sponsor or the, the assassin, right? And there's always one in every opportunity where yeah. – Potentially, they don't want you in there because they've got a bias, they've got an existing relationship yep. or whatever it may be. And in that particular example, when the investment committee, there was, you know, someone that wasn't keen, um, were you prepared for that before that conversation or did that take you by surprise? That's a very good question. We knew that they had expertise in this area. We yep. didn't expect them to have, we thought they would be supportive. We thought the business was good, mm. but they had insight yeah. about it that we didn't appreciate. Operational complexity, various mm. other things. Now, you know, so you make some, like the assassin. So I often talk about there are buying influences that you'll, you may never even know exist. Yeah. So you've got to be aware of that. But, you know, yeah. I talk to a coach, finding a coach to say, hey, you know that they've got a, investment committee and you can actually work out who's on our investment committee and you'd be able to work all of those things yeah. out. So it's actually possible to get through that. Um, but, uh, you know, with regard to that, us saying no to that deal, it also doesn't mean that it was necessarily the right decision, right? Yeah, you get the true. idea of a type two error. Type one error is where you say, no, um, you, you say yes and you should have say, said no. But a type two error is where you say no and you should have said yes. It could have been a very good business. The business has actually come back to us and, and you know, they've, they've hit their profitability targets out of the park and they seem to be doing really well. But you know, this is how the sales process goes and there's a lot of influences yeah. in there that aren't necessarily always objective or aren't always yeah. necessarily right. That's interesting, right? So like you, when you're selling to the initial person, and I've seen this before with other sort of chief marketing officers where they're looking to bring on a big piece of technology. It's quite a big investment for the business, but it's going to really help their role. They're not the final decision maker. They're the ones that are like, yes, I like this. Even though they're, they're going to be the primary user, the influencer, it's probably going to come to the CEO. Um, and the CEO is not going to have all the information at hand uh, to, to help the CMO make that, well, to, to give the final decision. Mm. Um, so it's interesting we said they're like, even in, in your world, Steve, there's other people you need to bring along the journey and, and yeah. convince. And for someone pitching the business as well, if they know that and they know the people that are on the committee, but again, to public information, they can even help address that uh, privately uh, if they, again, had the time or, or the nows to do so. Yeah. Well, to build on that, Dave, I mean, that is like there is gold in there because the truth is rarely is the buyer, in this case me, the expert in bus companies. That's right. yeah, the corporate advisor for that bus company should be an expert in bus companies and should be saying to me, this is how you should make your decision. These are yeah. the criteria that you should apply um, and, and shape the way we think about it so that we don't make a, you know, a type two error um, just because we're ill-informed. Yeah, this, this is awesome. I, I, mate, I could actually, 
we could talk about this for hours because I, I, I love the whole complex, you know, having sold into enterprise for, a, a, you know, nearly a decade. Um, but actually, if you don't mind, I, I still want to, I think there's an incredible learning for our audience here. And I hope I'm just going to go back. So if you could actually go back to that op, and I, I don't mean to highlight it, but like you said, they've came back, they've now hit their earnings. Now, if, if you invest, they probably want more money <laughs> because they've hit their number, right? So that's yep. the, kind of the cost of inaction. Um, but if you could have gone back and done it again, knowing what you know now, knowing the, the view that this particular member on the investment committee had, what would you have done differently in your approach to get him on board? I think over time, so for that specific case, over time, your pattern recognition improves, mm. knowing when to, um, when to let something go and when to push and fight for something in that specific yep. incidence. Um, but th th there's also another philosophy to this as well. That, that Harry hindsight guy, he is the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> so easy to go, oh, it should have been this way. Yeah. All you can do is learn from that and play it forward. Yeah. So work out next time that a set of decisions comes up like that, what is it that you're going yep. to do, do differently? Do you have a great product, but are struggling to reach more customers? Are you spending hours on sales activities that aren't generating results, leaving you feeling frustrated and discouraged? The Sales OS program is a step-by-step -step operating system that will help you slash your selling hours in half while rapidly growing your revenue. In under just two weeks, you can be well on your way to creating predictable revenue. In Sales OS, we'll show you how to build predictable sales pipeline build lasting relationships with your customers, and sell more in less time. The art of negotiation and motivating and leading a successful sales team. If this sounds like something that you need in your business, visit growforum.io forward slash sales and apply to see if you have the right mindset to achieve predictable revenue. The Sales OS program is your ticket to predictable revenue. Don't wait any longer, apply today. It's interesting, right? Because I get a lot of people when they see me in the sales process, like, oh man, you're great. You know, you're a great seller. I'm like, no, nah, I've just done this so many times. I've made that many mistakes. <laughs> it's helped me, you know, mm -hmm. tink, tinker with the approach yeah. and go, you know what? Often early in my career selling an enterprise, I always used to miss knowing when legal needed to kick in. It would always delay the contract. So I would put a close date. Next thing I know, I'd have my boss on me. Why isn't this closed? Well, actually, now legal's involved, that's stretched out the process. Okay, what do I do next? Bring legal in earlier. Okay, check the procurement guidelines. Is it above a number? It's gonna to go to tender. So I've got to either go under or be prepared to go to tender, right? I only learned that through the experience I went through, right? So this is absolutely the nugget of gold and it almost sounds like a platitude because you hear it all the time, but you really got to lean into it and embrace it. The it, this is a metaphor for life as well as for selling. Yeah. Those accounts, those opportunities where it didn't work out, they're the, the ones to almost embrace the most because, you know, you only learn and move forward from those. When you mm. sell, you think you've sold it for some reason, but you, you may not have. You know, the times that you get it wrong, really yeah. like working out what, what is it about that, what should be learned about that and carrying that mm. forward. Those are the greatest learning and Absolutely. growth opportunities. And the greatest what, ones what are the ones when... All the accounts you failed on, what was it? Yeah, and the one, the one, the one that you, that you learn the most is the deal that you think you had it, and then yeah. you you spend that commission before you get it, 
and then <laughs> the deal falls yeah. over and you're like yeah i don't know <laughs> the um uh the the the, the miller hyman strategic selling framework yeah. Uh, it has all these inputs and at the end it, it's summary of my overall position and it's a spectrum and it goes from panic at one end through to oh I feel bad through to I feel discomfort through to I'm feeling good yeah. through to awesome to I've got it in the bag and it's described yeah. as a spectrum and really where you want to be is maybe mildly discomfort or mildly confident because actually although it's a spectrum it's actually a circle and yeah. if you get to like supremely confident that's actually when boom suddenly you're at panic the thing will get ripped out from underneath <laughs> you because you are not covering all your bases yeah, it's so yeah. true. Well, Dave, I think you know. Th- th- look, I th- I actually think there's probably another episode here, and um, I could mm. I could pick up your uh, you're an advocate of the Miller Hyman strategic and large account management model, yeah. um, uh, Stephen. So thank you very much. I think look again. I, I think there's another episode here, Dave. Um, but before we do wrap up, if our listeners, because I think the great thing about this, um, they're hearing things from a completely different perspective, and we always wrap up this segment with another little mini segment, which will Dave and I will put together a bit of a, how would we sell to you? Where's the best place for our listeners to engage and find you? Sure. So you'll find me on LinkedIn by searching for Steve Gladden. You'll find me at straightbat.com.au. Love that. Love straight bat. That's a great name, actually. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Steve. It's been a pleasure having you on. Great. Hey, Dave, you know, when, when... just quickly, um, thinking back to that episode, right? Uh, it started the way he started is the way that I want to sort of just jump straight into because yeah, thought. there is so many nuggets of gold, right? Um, and I don't know if you picked up on it, like he just started talking from a commercial lens. Well, that's the um, thing, right? Like if you if you if you're selling to someone like Steve, they're in the finance space. Yeah, they're they're about returns, right? Yeah, they've got an obligation to give returns to the people that invest into them. So if you're looking if you're looking to get funding from someone like that, know they're triggered, know mm. what they want. That that's what they need to do. So yeah. you just right at straight out the gate, right? Yeah. But I think also what's like what's important, there's a lot of learning in this particular episode. I don't know, like 30 minutes ago, well, how much learning can be, but there's actually heaps of learning in this. And there's a learning from the fact that he spoke about there's multiple things that he spoke about. He spoke about you know, at every 300 companies that he's talking to, he'll invest in three, right? That, you know, a lot of people that he are, he's talking to, they're not talking to him in the way that he wants to interpret the information. And he's really after some, you know, very key things. You know, he also spoke about that investment that he didn't move forward with, that he think that he wishes, and you can tell he wanted to, but there was someone else in the buying committee that he couldn't get alignment with, right? And something that I really want us to consider and, uh, you know, want our audience to really think about, and you've heard me talk about this term before, but buyer enablement. We, as the sales professional, we are the professional guiding our buyers through the process. And if I had have done, let's kind of, if we were selling that bus opportunity to Steve, right? One of the things that I would advocate to do is enable Steve to think about the potential roadblocks that he might come up against, especially when you're selling into a complex hierarchy like Steve has within his business. He's got what analysts. Would you, would you ask, like, who do you need to get approval from? Do you need approval? 
Okay, well, obviously, so first and fir- first things first, the fact that he's he's got his team available online, you can actually jump on his website. Yeah, like most companies, you got LinkedIn. You can see who are the people that are going to influence the decision making process. Now, even if you can't meet with them, one of the steps to do is to actually talk to the your champion. He spoke about it. He's the champion. He was championing the deal forward. Yes, he had technical buyers in and all that sort of stuff, but he was champion. So considering that he's the champion and he has a vested interest and he wants to drive this forward, this is where we ask questions about like consider-based questions. You know, consider the impact of this person not wanting to see this through because of X, right? Because if you do the research, you could go, well, actually, let me have a look. And you just simply got to click their profile on LinkedIn and it gives you their company background. And you would have noticed that, hey, someone in your business has been exposed to an industry like this. They will have a viewpoint. Maybe we should be asking Steve before going to do that presentation to his board, what do you think this person's viewpoint on this will be? Because potentially Steve hadn't thought about that before he went into the meeting. So as the sales professional, if you enable your champion to think about what that potential barrier might be, it might enable them to then go, hmm, I didn't consider that. I need to consider it. Let me do a bit of fact finding first before we go in with the proposal, right? You know, I was about to ask you then, right? I was about to stop you and go, well, how do you know what he's going to say? Like Steve thought that that particular person was going to say, yes, I like this deal, but when in fact he didn't. But what because you keep going with what you're saying there, right? Because that's that's the part I want yeah, to get to. Yeah, because that's why you don't assume. And that's mm. why you never push your proposal forward until you've done your analysis and you've done your – and I'm not talking, you know, three, four, five grand deals. I'm talking – this is a big multi-million mm. dollar deal, right? Long-term play. Like you said, they're long-term plays. They take a long time. So you want to give the time to those deals that, that it requires. You're going to give, you've got to respect the deal and you've got to respect the deal process if you want to play in the big end of town, Dave, right? Yeah. So in, this is where strategy and you have to the, – the law of self-interest you need to put aside for a minute. I'm not here to close the deal now. I'm here to, I'm, I'm here to carefully understand the state of play that we're going to be navigating through with Steve to go, right, what does this person need? What could this person's barrier be? And try to hypothesize and then allow Steve to maybe go ask some fact-finding questions first to go and identify, are these, do they have a viewpoint on this? And if they do, at least it'll allow Steve to go, right, I need to now, when I go and meet, I've got to preempt that this could be his barrier and I've got to give him a level of comfort um, that this, you know, we're going to be able to work through this because he said, He said, nah, 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 but in fact, they've delivered above. They're still keen now. The investment to enter will be higher than what it was earlier. And this is where we see a lot. 40 to 60% of complex B2B deals end up in no decision because you can't get confidence around the table. Now, that's why you need to bring that level of strategy to to the table around what are people's drivers and what are the things that could stop them. And you try to plan for that. The last thing you want to do is go in not being planned. It comes up as a barrier. You don't have the information to actually work through it. It stops the deal dead. Yeah? Exactly what happened in that 
particular scenario. Now, for a lot of our audience, they might be, but I'm not selling to investors. But fundamentally, you are because everyone buying your product or service is doing the maths. They're they're looking at what's this going to cost us, what's going to be the impact, and will we see a return on this or not? And you've got to look at every opportunity through the lens of a commercial lens and think about who are the other people that this is going to be impacting and how can I structure the deal to really get all parties on board around this, yeah? Oh, that was perfect, Louis. And that's, a, and again, great way to end another How to Sell episode. Like always, subscribe where you're listening to this, whether it's on YouTube, your favorite podcast. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you in next week's episode.